Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. And if you like the show, well, you're already here. So don't do anything else. But hey, rate, review, subscribe, smash the subscribe button, do something, tell somebody. No, just just share it. Yeah, like just spread the word. I, I think we can ask for that. If you like the show, spread the word. Um, that that is important to us. We would like more people to listen to the show. So that's that's a thing. I like how that sounds. If you like the show, spread the word. There you go. I like that. There you go. Rolls uh, off the tongue. Our guest today on the show, Jamie Watson. Many words roll off of his tongue, of course. A very talkative, uh, loquacious color analyst, commentator for Nashville SC as they head into a major playoff match against Orlando City on Tuesday. I love talking with this guy. I love listening to him broadcast. I like listening to him tell stories. He's got many as it pertains to Gary Smith playing and coming up through the ranks as a player, transitioning to broadcasting. And I think one of the things I want people to listen to is how much he works to be a broadcaster as much as he worked to be a professional soccer player. And I think not all analysts in the sports world do that. And I think you'll hear our conversation. You can tell. (laughs) You can tell when the ones work hard and when they don't. So Jamie Watson is going to be our guest today. We'll have ratings and recommendations following the conversation. Some very interesting notes as far as TV audiences go in Nashville this weekend. The number one college game and the number one NFL game of the entire season took place. We'll explain a little bit later on. Uh, however, Steve Cavendish, Lamestream Sports, is brought to you by. Now, if I'm if I'm remembering right, it's Jaspers. All right, the memories, the mind's still sharp with this one. All right, I like it. You're the mind. You still got it, Steve. You still got it, buddy. Thanks, man. <laughs> Free parking, great happy hour, uh, $3 beers, $10 smash burger during Preds games. Um, they got some new menu items, some new flatbreads, a chimichanga that is absolutely spectacular. So uh, great drink specials. And oh, by the way, gift cards. If you buy a $100 gift card, you, you get it for 20% off and you get a $20 gift card for yourself. So good Christmas gift there for somebody in the family and you get something for yourself. So selfishly go to Jasper's uh, park for free and eat great food and watch a great game. How about all that? Also quickly, one programming note, we will be out on Wednesday next week before your Thanksgiving holiday. So available Wednesday morning, 5 a.m. for your drive to wherever you're going to see your family. So just uh, keep that in mind next week when you're uh, tuning into the show. Uh, All right. Jamie Watson, Steve, love listening to this guy talk. The thing I really like about Jamie Watson uh, is there's a there's an enthusiasm that comes across in his broadcasts. Uh, he he sounds like he is genuinely delighted to be there and calling the game, uh, and you match that with uh, with a really good skill set. He brings a lot of experience. You know, he had, he had a long playing career at a lot of different levels of U.S. Um, of the U.S. soccer ladder. Um, I, I he's just very very intriguing, and I didn't know much about him before he before he came on to to Nashville SC broadcast. I mean, I, I remember him being like a generation to this player many many years ago, and then I kind of lost track of him. Uh, and I, I think he's turned into a very very good analyst, uh, and I think somebody that again Nashville SC has done a lot of things really right here in these first two years. And the pairing of he and Tony Husband has been has been just spectacular. Well, I have nothing else to say about Jamie Watson heading into this interview because he we spent about 50 minutes with him, Steve. And I think he's the first guest where we might have actually spent more time talking after the interview than during the interview. He just loves to tell stories. Uh, and uh, one day we'll get all those off the record stories on the record. We'll do that one day. Uh, but without Jamie further- Watson won't shut up. 
<laughs> we we love we love the guy, and we love guys that don't shut up. As one of them myself. All right, so I will in fact shut up now, and you will get to hear from Jamie Watson, color commentator for Nashville SC, as we head into the playoffs coming up next Tuesday. Jamie, great to see you, man. Thanks for joining the show. We do appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here, guys. Let's chat. Let's dive into anything and everything you guys want to talk about. Well, we'll, we'll get to the playoffs and we'll get to working with the with the coaching staff and the front office and Nashville SC and all that great stuff. But I do want to go back to your, you know, your, your playing career. You've trained your entire life for sort of this one thing that you do really, really well. And you've done it for God since you're probably four years old, right? And you you at some point know that that's going to come to an end. When, when did it start to process or start to think about the idea of doing something post playing career in this godforsaken industry that we, we work in now? No, it's a great question because you're always one turn away, one step away from having an injury that could end it in a split second. And you never quite think it's going to be you. You're just so used to doing the thing that you've really only ever known, only ever wanted to do. And, you know, for me, it was playing soccer, right? So we'll go down that path and talk about like as playing soccer, you can take one step, tear your ACL, you can take a step wrong, you tear your Achilles. These are injuries that literally you may never be able to bounce back from, but you never really think it's going to be you. And and so you're just kind of, you know, going along, you think you're going to play forever. You're in the midst of it. And a lot of guys fall into that trap of you're just, you're a soccer player and that's who you are and that's what you're going to be. And that's what you're always going to do. Now, unless you're making monopoly money playing, you know, if you're a household name, you're probably going to be one of those players that can only play soccer and you'll be fine the rest of your life. But for the large 99.9% majority, there's going to be an afterlife. And I was lucky to have a lot of good professionals that were older and I listened to um, when I was younger that said, have a plan for what you want to do afterwards. And of course, when you're 18, you know what you know, you know what you don't know. So therefore, you know it all. Um, and I thought, no, nah, no, nah, that'll, that, that, that's way down the path, but I listened and it planted a seed and I started to, to watch when I would do interviews, like with guys like yourself, I would wonder, why did you ask that question? Like the, the lights would go off, the camera would go off and I'd go, Hey, you know, Steve, you, you asked that question in this particular order. Why did you do that? And then you would sort of impart your wisdom and you would say, here's why I said this. Here's why I did that. And I would listen. And when, when I would hear that, I would take it on board and I just started to pay attention to it. And I found a passion for it. I just started finding an appreciation for it. And I thought when I'm done, well, I know what it's like to be a player in the locker room. Now, if I can learn from qualified journalists and media members of how to do this, maybe I could put that together. And as I got later on in my career, everybody got younger, bigger, stronger, and faster. And I was getting older, slower, and somehow shorter. So I was like, you know what, if I do this broadcasting thing, I think I can do this for a lot longer. And I was able to, to transition in. I got lucky to get my foot in the door and I'm just trying to keep my foot in the door from here on out. I want to go back to the end of your playing career. You had been, uh, you had, you had been uh, kind of around the USL world. Uh, I think you have, you have the, you have the distinction of being, of having scored at like every level of you, uh, of us soccer, like all four divisions. Um, you're the, the Minnesota, you, you end up in Minnesota, but before you got there, the Minnesota fans had a chant and the <laughs> chant was you dive like Jamie Watson. You did your homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did. And, and, 
And so what was it like you go to Minnesota where you were the object of ridicule and all of a sudden now you're playing for these folks. How do you, how do you win somebody like that over? <laughs> Steve, it was, it was like the most irony as I'm signing the, the contract before it's announced, I'm like, this is going to blow some people's minds here, you know? And it was like, it was almost this, this um, tongue in cheek, you know, chant that happened. So to the, to the all four levels, I started out in major league soccer and, um, you know, I, it was like 2005, like I was like 18 on a good day. I'm five, eight and a half now, you know, at 35, like at 18, I'm not sure I was, you know, 140 pounds, five, seven soaking wet. You know what I mean? So I was playing with Salt Lake against Minnesota in an open cup game. Open cup basically allows if like we all made a Sunday league team and we qualified from Tennessee, we could be the state representatives from Tennessee and then you go into the first round, second round, third round. It's this incredible tournament that amateur teams can end up playing against uh, professional teams. While well, I was at an MLS team, we ended up playing against Minnesota, who, as you mentioned, were in the USL and we played in Minnesota. I was getting thrown around by these bigger, older guys and um, the fans started, you dive like Jamie Watson chant. And they were getting in my head. I'll be honest. I was pissed during the game. I was, I was hearing it. The banter was actually really getting under my skin as much as I didn't want to show it. We lose the game. So of course it's a memorable win for the fans there. And over the years, it just sort of stuck as in, I wasn't playing in that league, but I had friends playing in USL that would call me and they would be like, dude, we were playing a game tonight in Minnesota and they were chanting your name. It wasn't good. I'll be honest with you. It was very bad, but it was they were chanting your name. This is years removed. It was just a thing that took a life of its own. And I was definitely the, the butt of it. But um, then I, then I signed from Minnesota, you know, almost a decade later. And one of the guys who had been kind of the mainstays was like, Hey, if, if you score, you should go right over by the fans and we'll all, swan dive yeah. right in front of them so we scored one of the first games with them we all do it and it turns from this hatred to this beloved like all right this guy gets it he, he leans into it a little bit and so it was great i found a home there played the last three years of my career retired there and then started my first three years of broadcasting and a lot of those people that would give me a hard time they ended up being people i shared a lot of drinks with post-match celebrating with uh, you know a decade later, it was, it came full circle and it was one of the cool memories, but kind of a fun story to get to share because uh, yeah, I definitely got a lot of, um, you're not going to believe these texts and calls, you know, it just was a, <laughs> a, a source of laughter for years on end. Well, I, I, it's a really fascinating sort of, um, I don't want to say case study, but just the way we interact with the internet now, just as fans, as broadcasters, as athletes, celebrities in in the media the way they have to deal with sort of the internet and like there's a lesson in there somewhere about you know like you're in their head as much as they're in your head because they're chanting your name 10 years later it's not just like you did something to them that made you stick so deep into their brains that like that mattered to them and the fact that you were able to lean into it and and and, and adapt to it and sort of like use it as fuel or kind of whatever like you said kind of have some fun i i feel like there's a lesson in there for a current star athlete or a current broadcaster that takes a lot of shit on, on Twitter from fans yeah. that, that like, there's gotta be a lesson in there about how to interact a little bit better and a little bit smarter on, on the internet. I feel like you can't, you can't take yourself too seriously, right? Like 
the end of the day, we're, we're in the sports world and, it, and it's something that is a career and you should take it seriously and, and put everything, whatever it is that you do, you should put everything into it. Right. But also we're not, we're not doing brain surgery here, right? This isn't life or death. It's, it is sports and, and it's very serious and, and people's jobs and futures and careers hinge on. It. I understand that. So there's a time to be very dialed in, very serious. But when I was playing and somebody would give me banter, give me stick from the stands, if it was funny, I would turn around and I'd be like, that was pretty good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, and then if you say that, the power away from it, because most people are normal. Right. If you say something to somebody and they turn around and kind of laugh with you, you're going to be like, all right, that guy's actually all right. Like he's not that bad, you know. Um, but if you get riled up, then, you know, you've just kind of gotten under their skin and it's going to be worse. And so I don't know. I, I always looked at it like if you lean into it and you just kind of be human with somebody back, chances are somebody may say something expecting a reaction. But if it is a reaction that was a positive one, then they're going to be all right with you. There was one time I remember a lady, I was playing in Tampa with Orlando and there's a big rivalry between these two, right? Regional and the fans didn't like each other. And this lady turned and shouted something about like my, like my mom. And like, I hope she dies. And I looked at her in the middle of the game and I was like, we're doing that. Like, we're going to, we're going to say that of all the things. And that one, that one actually bothered me, but I think I handled it with like, you realize like in 10 minutes when this game's over, you would never say that to anybody else ever. And I think I was so human with her that this look on her face just like glossed over. That was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, you know, like that was, that was actually like a terrible like thing to say to another human being. Like I was like, say I'm ugly or I'm like, I'm bad or like say something about me. Like, my mom, she's lovely. If you ever met my Watson, she's <laughs> wonderful. Like that's just not true. And uh, you know, it was it was like it, after the game, she was like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that." You know, and so I didn't. I don't know. Like I think if you just lean into it, and you're a normal person. Nine times out of ten, people are gonna be like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's a good point. I probably shouldn't have said that, or that was funny. Thanks for being cool." You know, and then you're gonna get the one out of ten, and then you just hit the mute button or block on Twitter. It's great. Well, it, what's missing in the internet interaction though is that personal face-to-face human emotional response that's what we don't get on twitter and instagram and we don't see that when we say things to people that there's this human reaction to it that's what's missing from the entire experience so well can i say this so so to translate this down to broadcasting i make sure everything i say i would be able to say it to that person's face right and even if you're even if you're critical right it challenges you i think as a commentator to be better with your words, right? Because if I just say like, that was terrible. Well, if I look at somebody and I, I have to say that to them, where I'm like, this guy's having a shocker. Like that's pretty messed up to say to someone's face. Can you actually challenge yourself to say something smarter and be like a player of this caliber would expect themselves to make that pass. A player who's a former all-star would expect themselves to not have, you know, seven missed passes consecutively or seven out of 10 missed passes today by their standard, this game is not good enough because then when you see a player after the game or the next day and they go, I watched it back or my parents were watching it. And they said that you weren't having a good game or whatever. And I could be like, no, no, no. Here's what I said. I said, a player of your standard would expect themselves to make that pass. And then you can look at them and say, do you expect yourself to make that pass? Well, yeah. Okay. Then. So it's a fair comment, you know, and, I just think it's lazy 
when a commentator or somebody in the media says, it's just not good enough. Okay, well, not good enough by whose standard? Like my, I, I was, I had a good career, but I've been playing the World Cup. So if I'm commentating on a World Cup and I'm saying that's not good enough for a World Cup, have I ever been there? How do I know if that's good, not good enough? Is it good enough by their standards? Is it good enough by mine? If it's somebody's watching for the first time, they may say, well, I think that was still pretty good, like all things considered, you know? So it just, I think it's a challenge to people in the media to be able to be accountable for what you say and say it with a little bit more human aspect to it. And, and I don't know, not everybody's going to buy into that. Some people are going to say it because they want to get the reaction and that's fine. That's just who I want to be. And I think I've learned that from people like you guys, when I watch people in the media, everybody needs to figure out who they are and kind of have their, their voice and their personality. That's just who I guess I've tried to be as I've made this transition over. As you, as you were transitioning from, from being a player, were you conscious of when you started listening to games, uh, were you conscious of how things were being called and was it, was any, was there anybody that you were listening to that you were like, Ooh, that was, that was, that person's really smart or, you know, you can name names on here uh, or I heard this person and God, I don't ever want to sound like that. Yeah. I think every time I do an interview, every time I watch something, I always, always take something from everybody, right? I think you should be a sponge and you're never too good to, to stop learning from somebody because there are things that like I'll watch you guys right now and I will take something from this and I'll say, you guys do a wonderful job of, of working off of each other as a team uh, in the interview. And I'll say like, it, this is great. Like the setup, right. And you've got where your, your, your microphone, it, it just, it's professional. I look at it. I'm like, man, I, I need to be a little bit more professional next time. Right. Or there may be things that you take away and you go, I didn't love that as the interviewee today. So now when I'm interviewing somebody, I want to make sure that I don't do that. Don't worry, fellas, that hasn't happened yet. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, you're always wanting to, to learn um, when you're watching. I remember my, I think it was, it was a, like my second career goal, my rookie year, right? I was the first time I was playing from Dallas. I'm originally from Dallas. I had spent about the week leading up to that game, getting everybody from high school and middle school and all of my friends and family in Dallas tickets to the game. I was so excited for them. Uh, it was the first time I was playing a bit professional in Dallas and the game was on ESPN. And so it was nationally televised and we were down two zero. I came on at halftime and eight minutes into the coming on at halftime, I've got a hundred people in the stands on the day. I score a goal and I, I run over to the corner where all of my friends and family are. And I'm giving it just kind of a, a little bit of a celebration. It's two, one, there's still, I don't know, 35 minutes left in the game. Plus, you know, plus a little bit here or there. And I was like, I, you know, I just, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm excited, you know, but not going over the top. And I still remember it to this day, the commentator on the day for ESPN says he has no idea, I guess, sort of the context, hasn't done his homework to understand why I'm excited. And so as the goal happens, it was, you know, goal, Jamie Watson, 2-1, Real Salt Lake cut the lead in half. And I'm, it cuts to me celebrating in the corner. And the color commentator goes, stop celebrating, kid. You're still down a goal. And here we are. That was 2005. 
right? We're at the end of 2021 and I still hear it in my head. And I still think that was really like a bad job of commentating because he didn't understand and he didn't do his homework to understand that I'm an 18. I think I just turned 19 years old, rookie playing in my hometown in front of a hundred plus people that meant the world to me that were the reason I was in that position. And if he would have understood it, he would have said, cuts the lead in half, still a lot of game to go, but that moment will be a moment he'll remember forever. It is a moment I remember forever, but unfortunately I remember equally for the moment of sharing it with the people in the stands that meant the most to me. But I also remember it because the commentator ruined the moment to an extent for me. And so I don't know why that one particular moment, well, probably because for all the reasons I just said, but the exact verbiage plays like a soundtrack in my head. And I never want to do that for somebody else, whether it's a Nashville SC player or it's somebody on the opposing team. I don't ever want to ruin their moment because I didn't do my homework and I didn't understand the dynamic in the scenario. And also, hey, guy, we still have 35 minutes left to go tie the game. It wasn't like there was 35 seconds left. So do, do you, something I took away that I'll never do. <laughs> so it's it's almost like you were sort of subconsciously training for the next career already. Do you have any more of those moments throughout your playing career that that stick out to you that that you say, man, that's something that was that was really amazing that 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 was great that I want to use in my career or or again more of the same where maybe hey that's that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah, I mean that one sticks out because it was it was one that really connected with me. I, I, every time I watch a game. I understand that, you know, nobody turns the TV on to watch me commentate a game or Tony Husband or Kelly Glendening, our broadcast team, right? I think we can enhance it and we can make it better and make it a learning experience and make people enjoy it even more. But at the end of the day, you're turning the game on to see the players for Nashville SC. And so when you understand that, you understand at times that one of our best goals and won the goal of the year for the team, it was Luke Hawkinson scores this goal. And uh, it, it completed this comeback against Toronto. It was a game in which Toronto scores. Nashville ties it. Toronto scores again late. Nashville tie it late. Nashville win it in the 93rd minute. It was this incredible moment. And one of the best goal calls Tony Husband and I had that year, um, and our producer, Sean Brown, was really good. He was in our ear that day. And he kept reminding us, you know, if, if this goes in, this is going to be a big moment. If this goes in, this is going to be a big moment in the ear as we're running. And mind you, like he did it in a way that didn't make us like screw up because he's talking to your ear while you're talking on you. That's a sign of a good producer right there. Um, and Luke Hawkinson scores this goal. Nissan Stadium erupts. And Tony Husband gives his goal call where he says, Luke Hawkinson, 3-2. And as the stadium erupts, we just shut up. Because there's nothing we're going to say in the moment that 23,000 screaming fans, we're not going to do anything better than that. So we just don't say a word. Because what am I going to say that's going to make that moment better? Probably nothing. So why don't you just shut up and watch 23,000 people go crazy? Our director, Russ Lather, is giving us a, a shot here, a cut to this angle, a wide shot of the stadium exploding, the strobe lights going off. It's giving you a moment where you understand that, that sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing at all, because this is the beauty of sports. 23,000 people, 23,000 different people 
from Nashville, from Tennessee, from around people visiting to watch this game from out of state, maybe their first soccer game, their first sporting experience, whatever it may be, a kid falling in love with the game in that moment, you're encapsulating 23,000 different people's lives not mattering for that moment. It's the moment of exhilaration of being around other people celebrating. And that's what sports is all about. So you're letting that story tell it because that's the most important thing right then and there is just watching people be happy in that moment. And I don't think we talked for 40 seconds. We didn't need to. And then you come in and, you know, you kind of recap how the goal sort of happened, but that moment happens and that's what you live for. And I've learned that in those moments, sometimes when, when sports is happening and, and life is happening and a stadium full of people interrupt or as people erupting, I don't need to interrupt with, with anything I'm saying. If I'm watching a game at home and somebody's talking over a big moment, I'm screaming at the TV, shut up. Just let me hear people be happy and hear the crowd noise and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's something that I now probably am terrible to watch a game with because I'll be like, well, that commentator should stop talking right there. Or, <laughs> you know, or that was really good that he said this, you know, and that was, that was sort of a moment I think this year that I look back and I go, I think Tony and I did a good job of handling that by not saying anything. And that's something I've learned from broadcasters when they have spoken over big moments or you watch Joe Buck as much stick to go back tying in social media and getting hate and broadcasting whatnot. Joe Buck gets so much stick, but how many times do you hear him do a world series walk off home run where as it leaves the bat and goes, and we'll see you tomorrow night. And that's it because it's a walk off home run in the world series. What the hell is Joe Buck going to say or anybody on this planet going to say that's better than that moment. But understanding that that's what I think makes a good broadcaster be great in that moment. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jasper's. That was that was a high work rate there, Steve. <laughs> that was very efficient, high work rate. No long goal call there. No long screaming session. I thought maybe you'd do one of the. Your long goal calls for the the look. You keep bitching week. that the microphone cuts out when I do that. So I tried to do something that 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 got the name of our of our beloved sponsor in, and you know didn't break the audio equipment. Go, go to Jasper's. Yes, the bar for the podcast is that people can listen to it. That's me bitching. Is hey Steve. Let's make sure that people listening to the audio medium can hear can't, the audio medium. <laughs> I can't help it if this goddamn Zoom feed won't work right. I blame the mic. It's entirely the mic's fault and your fault, and that's it. Go to Jasper's. You know whose fault is not? It's not Jasper's fault. They, they mercifully, it's not their fault. Uh, but the, you know but why? They, because they will let you come to their establishment in your car and just stop right there out front for free. You can park for free. You can sit for free, which is, you know, pretty you standard at eat, restaurants. You cannot eat for free. But you're eating at such great prices that, I mean, hell, it might as well be free. <laughs> I mean, they would like to turn a profit at some at some point, but but the food is so good. Uh, again, the food for a sports bar, which it's not really a sports bar. It's an elevated sports bar. It's the next evolution of the sports bar. It's a sports bar that fights off pandemics left and right. The way Walker Zimmerman fights off set pieces. It's just... It, they they just they do everything, and uh, that includes free parking. That includes happy hours that are truly happy. 
That includes helping you with the Christmas supply chain problem. You know, like you, you have a tough time ordering gifts. You got to order gifts early this year. If, you ha- if you're in a pinch, just go to Jasper's, buy a $100 gift card. They'll give you 20% off the gift card and they'll give you a $20 gift card for yourself. So selfishly, you get something out of the deal, even if you're doing something nice for somebody else. And then they're going to get to go experience all the wonderful food and happy hours and drinks and free parking that Jasper has to offer. You're just spreading Christmas spirit through the lens of Jasper's. It includes new menu items. It includes new flat, new flatbreads. It includes uh, it includes Predators games with three dollar beers and ten dollar smash burgers. I mean, I, I at this point, if you're not going to Jasper's, really, there might be something wrong with you. What would a frat bread be? A frat bread. A frat bread. Yeah. What would that be? Would that just that be would, like a, a frat bread? Patty? Would be a would be a flat bread, but without the without the necessary caffeine in order to make my mouth work and say flatbread well no i was just thinking like is it just like natty ice and a burger patty <laughs> like is that what a flatbread is <laughs> maybe some franzia i don't know some schaefer <laughs> <laughs> with some with some axe body spray <laughs> sprinkled in <laughs> i don't know just you you said flatbread i just thought hmm what what mm. what could Deb Paquette do with that? <laughs> Throw it back. Throw it back. Not a keeper. Not a keeper. Uh, I did try the big cheese sticks. They are the largest cheese. St- I'm not even kidding about this. They are the largest cheese sticks I've ever seen. Tell me about this chimichanga. The chimichanga is spectacular. I do not have it in front of me. It's basically all my wife's like favorite like items. So it's like black black beans and like avocado smash and like. It's all of her favorite with like feta and like it's all of her favorite. It's like Greek and Spanish mixed together. It's just it's it's spectacular and it's like all of her favorite foods of all time. Uh, it is, I think I'm spectacular. I, I think I'm I think I'm having a chimichanga for lunch. Yeah, that sounds spectacular. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and the and the big cheese sticks, like I said, largest cheese sticks I've ever seen. I'm a big I'm a big sticks guy, uh, Steve. You know, people know me for that. Um, all right, go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The food is wonderful. Uh, go get a gift card. All that great stuff. Go watch a Preds game. Go to Jasper's. Jaspers. Let me ask you a little bit about pedigree because I find I find that particularly within that commentating position, and it doesn't really matter the sport, but fans tend to get obsessed with pedigree in in there. I mean, you had a re- you had, you had a really good career. You had a, you had a, you had a relatively long professional career, but you know you never played in a World Cup, uh, and I, I think a lot of times people uh, people automatically default to that highest level and think that that person is is the is the best person to be commentating for a for a particular sport when when it it doesn't always match up with necessarily with execution and I'm not I'm not picking on anybody here in particular but but I do think that we have a we have a default bias for we have a default bias for that that kind of highest level. Um, what's that like for somebody like you who wants to be a broadcaster, and you know you don't have that World Cup pedigree? You know you didn't, and and, and so maybe you're not getting an opportunity that that somebody else did because they happen to they happen to have a, a quirk of you know they were picked in the right place at the right time or you know they were. They, they were they worked well with a with a particular coaching staff and so they were you know they were in a lineup or not or whatever does does that ever does that ever 
stick in your head that like I either have to try harder or what do you have to work on in order to 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 get your name out there or to or to be improve as a broadcaster? It's a fantastic question because there were people that will say that I got my foot in the door um, because of my career that I didn't have the experience um, from actually doing the job. And I think that's a fair comment. Absolutely. I think there are times that players and former players get opportunities that they haven't necessarily earned through experience. Now, whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, who am I to necessarily make that determination on it? But the one thing I will say is, is they just because you play doesn't mean you're going to be good at commentating. And a lot of players think they can just show up and they can put a headset on and they can just talk. The one thing I didn't know, and I had a rude awakening from fellas, this interview was was planned starting last week. And then there was prep that goes into it. There is hours and days and weeks put into this before the red light even goes on. And if you don't put your homework in, it doesn't matter how good you were on the field. You will get exposed and you will get found out. And if you will go, okay, that, that's great. You played, but you don't know what you're talking about right now. You don't know how to present it. You don't know how to articulate it. You don't know how to be on set with everybody else that you're, you may have been a good teammate when you were playing, but you're not being a good teammate to the people to your right and to your left because you're not setting them up to succeed as well. So ultimately, one of the best things I learned, Brian Dunseth was a former player that made a transition um, with Real Salt Lake to being their color commentator, their voice. He's been on Fox, ESPN, every national you know, network you can imagine he's been a part of. And he gave me a great heads up because he was like, you're going to get out of this broadcasting career, what you put into it. And that's so true. There's so much that goes into it before you even get the opportunity to be in front of a camera. And if you don't want to put in the work, you will get found out. Absolutely. So people will get opportunities that they haven't necessarily worked their way up the totem pole. And maybe they haven't put in work to prove that they have earned that position, but it will happen. But you can't focus on that because much like when you were playing the things that I did for one coach, one coach loved that about me and was like, you're my guy. And then I did the same thing for another coach. And they were like, we're going to cut you. You're just not, not, I don't want you on my team. Same thing is in with directors and producers and coordinating producers and people that pick who they want to be their forward facing representation on camera or on screen or on radio or on a podcast. You have different likes from different people that make decisions. And ultimately at the end of the day, all you can do is just, be the best version of yourself that you can be experienced on the field, not experienced on the field. I don't think that it correlates to being good at this. Much like coaching. A lot of play, a lot of people think, Oh, players can just stop being a player and be a coach. Let me tell you, I know I wouldn't be a good coach. You know what I mean? Cause I'd be like, why? I, how don't you know how to do this? Because I, I know how to do this. You should know how to do it. Teaching it. It's something very different. You have to prep to be able to learn how to teach people, connect people. Same thing with this commentating. Does it get frustrating at times if you let it, if you sit there and stew over it? Why does somebody else have success in this opportunity that I don't? I've been working hard for this. I should be there. Says who? 
just keep doing what you're doing and figure out what makes you the best you can be. Because I know that I didn't go to journalism school. So I know that there's a lot of things that I need to work on that I need to learn that somebody else has a leg up on me because they were and have been a professional at this a lot longer than I have. While I was a professional on the field a lot longer than several people in the media industry were, okay, that's fine. I've got that one up from actually having been in those situations and on the field and in the locker room and I can understand what's going on there. But if I don't know how to tie in what they know and what they've learned as professionals from being able to present that to people and to be able to articulate that, that experience doesn't do me much advantage if I can't tie those together. So it's only as frustrating as you let it be. Just if you're, if you're making the figure out who you want to be in part of your voice, one thing that I've figured out I want to be, I'm not going to worry about if somebody else gets an opportunity or I don't, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and trying to get better each time. And then I think those opportunities will present themselves when they're supposed to. And if it doesn't, okay, that's fine. It's almost like there's an entire industry of people that have trained their entire lives to be broadcasters or something. It, it's, it's really strange. It's crazy, right? That that's an actual thing that, that happens. I agree with the coaching analogy also. Like people expect Michael Jordan or John Elway or Peyton Manning or these guys to be coaches and like no, almost exclusively no great players in any sport have been great coaches because exactly what you said. Why don't you just dunk on that guy? Why don't you just throw touchdowns <laughs> like me? Why don't you just put it up or 90 like me? Like that's not exactly that's not how it that's not how it works. It's why it's why backup catchers are great major league baseball managers. Um and I and I will say this and I'll speak for all of Nashville and uh, I, I think I've worked with a lot of people that are like what Steve's asking about here. Uh, especially coaches in the college football world, they, they just walk off the sidelines and expect to, to be treated like a certain thing, a certain way. And uh, I will say that it's very obvious that you approach it very differently. You can tell, as you said, you can always tell the people that care about it as much as a career as they did their playing career. You can always tell. And, and I think we can tell the amount of work that you put in. Um, how was the first time you talked to Gary Smith? <sighs> Well, thank you for that compliment. That, that, that means a lot because from a prof one professional to another to hear a colleague. He, he's not that professional. Well, yeah, I mean, that, but neither I, that bar is so low for both of us that we're equal, <laughs> you know? No, um, in all honesty, thank you. That means a lot. Um, the first time I talked to Gary was hilarious because I was I was with Minnesota and they had let me um, do a game um, freelance with Nashville as they were still a USL side. And John Freeman, who has, has just left after a wonderful career here with Nashville SC, he's just taken a job with the University of Virginia to be the voice of their football team, their basketball team. And he's incredible. He was, um, at the time, the, the TV voice for Nashville. And I was coming in to do the game with him as a color commentator, sort of as a tryout. And I was clutching to, I know John Freeman. John Freeman, please vouch for me in front of Gary Smith on this conference call we had. And Gary knew everybody on the call except me. And John was like, Hey, you know, we want to ask you, you know, a little bit of kind of sensitive information about this. And, and Gary's like, right then, uh, who's this Jamie guy? That's my very bad Gary Smith impressionation. And I've been on mute and I'm like, hi, Gary. Uh, nervous as could be. Um, <laughs> I know I'm like three, four years into my career, three years into my broadcasting career, but I'm nervous as hell talking to this guy. And I'm like, Gary, I used to play. I'm a broadcaster now. Um, I'm not going to tweet anything we say. And I'm like, no, don't say that. Cause he's going to think like, why would you bring that up? And I'm like, I'm like, 
basically I know if I say anything from this conversation, I'll get fired and I'll never get this job or any other job. So like, I promise I'm not doing it for the likes and hit mute again. And I just hugged there. And there was like this two second pause and Gary goes, right then. Okay. So here's the information. And it was like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can just tell the desperation in my voice to please trust me. <laughs> Maybe I said the right words in there in some horrible, long-winded, convoluted way. But he was great. And now we laugh at it. And he's, he's incredible to work with. I'm so lucky. We look forward to getting to chat with him after games because it's, I think it's sort of a, a therapy session a little bit when Tony Husband, Kelly Glendening, John Freeman last year, West Bowling, uh, we get on these calls with them and he's like, we can ask him about, you know, so what'd you think of this? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you this. He, the referee made this decision. I couldn't say because I don't want to get fined. And my missus will get mad at me if I get fined again. <laughs> I didn't want to pay the money because, you know, I, I wasn't that mad, but I was mad. And here's what I really thought. And then, you know, it, it's great because then I can also, he respects sort of my playing background. So now we have this great relationship where I can be like, Gary, you made this switch. And they'll go, oh, you picked up on that. And I'll be like, here's why I did it tactically. And we can get so in the weeds and he loves it. And, and we love it too. We're, we're so lucky to have him as a coach because he understands Two aspects, right? He understands the the importance of that locker room and the culture he's created at Nashville, the players that they've brought in. I think they've taken players that are on paper or probably have been cast off by other teams of oh, they're not they're not up to the standard, so they're they're replaceable. So we'll let them go to, to Nashville. But he knew that they were high quality character people and they would make people around them better. So it's like you got these good puzzle pieces that just fit nice and seamlessly together. And it's made Nashville be just this dominant team uh, in the Eastern Conference in only their second year. But he also understands the importance of how to grow Nashville SC, whether that's with the media or by doing appearances, by making sure that he represents the club and the brand and helps grow this. Like we're all still growing something that's still very new. And it's, you know, it's blossomed quickly but it still has so much more room to grow and it's going to get even more amazing with the stadium next year. But Gary's been a wonderful ambassador to the community with this club. And, you know, it's more, more than just the 90 minutes on the field on a Saturday night at, you know, Nissan stadium and soon to be our new stadium at the fairgrounds. It's, it's what you do the other 22 and a half hours of the day, the other six days a week as well. Um, that he's just absolutely been so spot on with. And, and John Ingram, our owner, has done a good job. Our majority owner has done a really good job of seeing that in Gary and appreciating that about him. And I think that, you know, he gave him all the resources needed to succeed. And Gary has even outperformed, I think, everybody's wildest expectations for these first two years. My, my favorite Gary Smith is a uh, broadcast call Gary Smith. I've been on a few of those and uh, listening to him scout the other team. It's a thing of beauty. I'm just, oh, he's I'm just I'm the just... mad scientist. He's so smart with it. Like he's really good. Well, let's talk on the field here for a second. Uh, I, I, you wouldn't say Nashville has overachieved, but you could, you could, I think you could fairly say that Nashville is not, anybody's sexy pick to win a conference, to finish high in a conference, to, you know, to, to be seated in a playoff. Uh, they're, they're a second year expansion team. Uh, and they have, they, they don't have, they, they don't have that, that, you know, bright lights player 
uh, that that maybe some other teams in the league do. Uh, they've got really good players, uh, and, and I think Mukhtar has Hani Mukhtar has become that just kind of really, you know, special player for Nashville. I'm Jamie. I'm hearing Steve say that he doesn't think Hani Mukhtar should win MVP. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying I'm just saying I wouldn't bet on Hani Mukhtar being the uh, MLS MVP just from how people vote on it. <laughs> but but why why is it that you think and you mentioned Gary and culture kind of piece of it? Why do you think it's come together? Teams are I mean teams can be kind of a strange thing, and this team has seemed to has seemed to gel in a way that has been really. I mean, as an outsider, has been kind of fun to watch, and they're and they're a tough team to play. Why ha- why has it worked here when it hasn't worked elsewhere? I mean, you see expansion. You know, there's been so much expansion around the league that you would you would figure that somebody else would have plotted a similar kind of path towards respectability. And I'm looking at my friends in Cincinnati right now. I was going to say, uh, you're going to name names? You name names, there you go. Cincinnati, I mean. My, Miami. If I had spent as much money on a team as Miami has spent on a team, I would have <laughs> fucking expected to be in the playoffs. But, you know, yeah. that's just that's just me. Um, but why why does it work? Why, why, has this, why has this gelled? So I get where you're going with that because I think the expectation outside of the Nashville SC camp was there's no way – uh, a team that doesn't spend monopoly money to go sign these big name players and have all the glitz and glamour and all the promise of playing sexy football. And it's just going to be, it's going to, wow, it's going to knock your socks. No way it can it be Nashville to do that. That was the sort of narrative outside of the camp here inside the camp. I can tell you and knowing the players, talking to the players, talking to Gary, they expected themselves to be a team that made the playoffs in the first year. Which, by the way, they were the they were the best defensive team last year's expansion team, conceding the fewest amount of goals. Uh, the goalkeeper Joe Willis led the league in shutouts last year. Did it again this year, back to back. They were the first team in the modern era of Major League Soccer to win a playoff game after or in their expansion team or expansion season. So, being one of those teams that sort of defied expectations from the outward media. That was great, right? But then they came into this year and they they had a lot of questions. It was like, okay, well, they had a good year, but um, they didn't score enough goals. So can they score enough goals? Well, then this year, they go and score 55 goals this year, which I believe was the fifth highest overall in the league. They finished third overall in the East, so they get a home playoff game again, which they did last year, um, albeit in a different manner because it was they got in by the normal expectations. Normally, seven teams make the playoffs. Last year was expanded. Um, because of the conference alignment. So 10 teams got in, um, but seven is the cutoff. That's where Nashville is last, this year or last year. This year they go third. So they better that. They go, okay, well, okay, could they score goals? Yeah, they did that. Okay, well, hold on. But, you know, can they, uh, can they still be a good team defensively if they go and score goals? Okay, well, again, this year goals against, they were 33 goals against, which tied for the lowest in the league again. Joe Willis, again, gets another shutout record uh, where he ties the top clean sheet uh, goalkeeper uh, with 13 again. So back-to-back years with that. Uh, Okay, but the narrative is, can they go uh, unbeaten at home? Can they make home a fortress? They're only the seventh team in Major League Soccer history since 1996 
to go undefeated at home throughout the course of the season. They have the longest home unbeaten streak uh, currently active in Major League Soccer in 17 games. And then can they win on the road? Well, they go on the road this year and they go four, four, and nine. They they have at least, you know, uh, one of the better records that is sustainable. You're supposed to win at home. You're supposed to tie on the road. They sustain that. They go seventh overall. A lot of these questions the outside media had and these doubts that they had because they didn't spend huge absorbent amounts of money. There was always these, yeah, but, well, okay, if they do this, can they still do that? They answered a lot of those questions. And then Hani Mukhtar in the midst of it, he actually, and this is where I'll push back just a little bit and I'll challenge that and say that he went and paced Major League Soccer for most of the summer and into the fall and ended up being the top combined goals and assists score in Major League Soccer with 16 goals, 12 assists. Nobody contributed more to their team than Hani Mukhtar. So do they have a player that's got a, you know, an eight-figure price tag attached to him because he signed with it? And so, therefore, because you spent a lot of money, he's supposed to be really good? No, they don't have it. But did they get a player that they didn't have to pay eight figures for that is performing like an eight-figure player should? Yeah. So which would you rather have, you know? And, and I think that there's a lot of ways of how you want to look at it and the makeup of it and say – whatever your opinion wants to be, it's like a piece of art, right? You look at it and you go, how do you want to view this painting? Do you want to say like, wow, that's deep because I'm going to appreciate this and I'm going to notice that. And I know that the artist did created this picture with these kind of constraints and that's what makes it beautiful. Or do you want to look at it and go, well, I don't, I, I don't see it. So I don't want to see it outside. I'm not sure people want to see Nashville as a top tier team in this league. Okay. That's fine. The players will rally around that mentality because of the mentality of the players that are brought into this, which makes those signings even better. And then you get performances like Hani Mukhtar. CJ Sapong was a free agent. Chicago decided not to re-sign him. Okay, thank you. Now you go and get him. He's a 12, he's a 12 goal scorer again. And he pairs up with Hani Mukhtar to be this deadly force. And then you throw in Walker Zimmerman, who's up for defender of the year again. I mean, look at Honey Mokhtar for MVP, Walker Zimmer up for Defender of the Year again, and Joe Willis up for Goalkeeper of the Year. Three postseason superlatives for this team that isn't supposed to be glamorous. Is, is the Zimmerman is, is the Zimmerman trade sale? How are you, I mean, it's MLS. I mean, they the trade where they they pay yeah, yeah. allocation money for him. Yes, going is it what is is that the worst transaction <laughs> in in MLS history? Or one of them. I mean, LA has not <laughs> depends made- on who you ask that well, to. <laughs> okay, if, you're, if you're LA, I mean, they, LA has missed the playoffs the last two years, and one of the big reasons why is they keep leaking goals at the back. And meanwhile, Zimmerman, Zimmerman has captained the national team <laughs> in in the interim based off of his performances from Nashville. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing: it's a shrewd bit of business by Mike Jacobs to even ask the question, because when I found out personally that we were trading for Walker Zimmerman, I say we Nashville, when Nashville was trading for him, I was shocked because I thought he just wouldn't have been for sale. And you pay over a little over a million dollars in allocation money, that which is a big chunk of your, your allocation money. It, it is, it's significant in that sense, but anywhere you go in the world where you're going to find a player that captains his national teams and is the league's back-to-back potential defender of the year, well, you got to put a, a zero on the end of that and maybe a bigger number at the front of it for that deal. But Nashville didn't have to. Mike Jacobs was, was so good. He was able to, to pull that off. And 
to be able to put himself in a position to have that sort of allocation money. In expansion year, you do get more, but to be able to be smart with your other transactions, to go and get him, to give him a contract where he feels appreciated as well and valued and he wants to come in and, and put him in a position to succeed with other good players like Dave Romney, who up until the last game of the year played every minute of the first year, every minute of the second, and Gary Smith actually held him out of that last game um, to make sure he was going to be in the best position he could be for the playoff game on Tuesday night. Um, to get Walker and to pair him with Dave, Dave's made Walker look just as good, and Walker would be the first person to tell you that. And Walker's made Dave look invaluable to this team as well. They've made players around him better. It was one of the best transactions, and I think not only because you see how good it made Nashville, you also see defensively how much LAFC miss Walker Zimmerman and how important he's been. And I think that adds to the case of why he was the defender of the year last year and why I voted for him personally for the defender of the year this year, because I think he's the most important defender for a team. Um, and he makes everybody around him better. And look, he's making the national team better now too. I think, yeah, I think Mike Jacobs is wanted on felony charges in the state of California, actually, um, in a variety of other places. <laughs> how, how he has built this roster is, is almost, it's borderline criminal, actually, uh, how good he, a job he's done. Um, so good. So I, I want to, so Orlando City, uh, you know, I, I find it fascinating, sort of, there are some geographic and, and regional rivalries that I think the, the fan base, Twitter, MLS, whatever, that they want to create, right? Like whether it's Cincinnati or Atlanta or you know, whatever, in, you know, in the USL loose city, whatever. Um, and that, and that's going to happen over time because of proximity that that will happen. But what really makes you talked about it, there's a, there's an outside media perception of this team, but there's also an internal player peer colleague perception of this team from other teams. And as you see this, this particular squad start to build some of those rivalries on the field, that is where you start to really develop sort of the deep rooted stuff that kind of can carry for gener for a generation, whether it's the where whether it's New York City FC or Orlando City, like things that are happening on the field as well as just regional proximity, um, those matches with O City this year were tough. Like those were battles, and I expect Tuesday to be a battle. And it, it that is what really makes uh, you start to build these things sort of over time is is actual competition levels. Yeah, and and the way in which it happens, right? So I mean, there were. They met Nashville and Orlando met three times this year, two of them at Nissan stadium, all three games ended in a draw. And there was different sets of circumstances to every game. Um, I think the first one Nashville went up and Orlando city ties. Um, they held on at the end to for a tie. And then uh, when the two teams met again uh, this year, it ended two, two as well. And a late goal from Orlando sort of, stole a point uh, here and it actually sort of propelled them to where they even made the playoffs. It was the start of kind of their run, their late season push that got them into the playoffs. And then the, the penultimate weekend of the season, Nashville go down to Orlando, a place where they won on the last day of the season last year. Um, and it was a one, one draw with, you know, so a crazy ending to the game. And, and so when you look at these two teams, they are two teams that are really well coached. They are really organized. They are both explosive in their own ways, and they're very good at the things that they do. Nashville, extremely organized, break out so quick, play on the front foot at home. Whereas Orlando, they like to get a lot of numbers in the midfield. They like to overload the midfield. They've got two 10-goal scorers in Daryl DK and Nani, who's uh, just a, a household name in soccer, um, that they are problems. I mean, Daryl DK scored in both of the last two matches. Hani Mukhtar is... 
uh, scored in the last match. Randall Leal has, has scored in two of the matches as well. So, I mean, you look at these players and you start to go like, there are a lot of storylines that are developing because they've played so many times. The three ended in a draw. This one cannot. So I cannot wait for Tuesday the 23rd, 7 o'clock here at Nissan Stadium for this match because somebody has to win. And these are two teams that probably feel like they can get the better of each other because all three times they played, there were instances in which both teams were ahead and both teams were able to come back. And it's been so close that there's been fine margins that separate these teams in the three game, three times they've met this year that it may be one individual play, one moment of brilliance. And I'm going to be on the edge of my seat broadcasting with Tony Usman as we have that on the radio call while this game is shown nationally on, on Fox Sports 1 um, on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. I, I, don't, I don't want to make a prediction on it. I wouldn't want to bet on it because it's going to be a nail-biter and it's going to be hopefully another moment like the gold year we talked about earlier where there could be some late drama where it just explodes. And as a commentator, makes your life easy. You just get to shut up and enjoy it too with everybody else. Uh, let me, since we're in the midst of, uh, of an international break, we're taping this before the Jamaica match on Tuesday. Obviously, uh, uh, Christian Pulisic pulls some heroics out on Friday against the Mexican national team to, to, to put one in the back of the net. And I'm just, I'm just curious because it, it's all interwoven together with Nashville SC with the city bringing a World Cup qualifying match to Nissan Stadium, with the building of the new stadium. You know, Nashville already had, and the state of Tennessee, already had a pretty solid youth sort of development level uh, relative to not having any any, any high-level professional teams. Um, it, it seems like it all sort of works together, where you're seeing this young crop of stars rise in the U.S. men's national team, hopefully uh, on knock on wood, on, pay, on path to, to a World Cup performance. You've got now a professional team that's in the playoffs with some star power, as we've already talked about today. How does it all work together to make the sport and elevate the sport from the ground up so that we can continue to grow as a nation, not just a club and as a community, but also as a nation on the world stage? Because it all does it all does sort of work together, right? Yeah, it does. And, and I think that it it's sort of this generational shift that's been happening for a while. Look, I grew up playing soccer and my mom and dad... I don't know how or why they got me into soccer. Um, they cultivated it. They knew nothing about it. They were the parents on the sideline that, you know, were they didn't know if I was good or not. They were like, well, he, he knows which goal to go to. So at four years old, he, <laughs> he's cut above everybody else just because he knows which goal to score and, you know, he knows to switch at halftime, right? Like that's how simplistic it, it, it used to be sort of from um, parents teaching kids. But now I watch soccer with my kids and, and, my kids are around the house going NSC, NSC, you know, the backline chance. And it's sort of ingrained with them and they're watching games and, and they're understanding it and they're exposed to it now. And, you know, you, you touched on a little bit there, there was this really good culture already established with the youth soccer, but then now you bring in Nashville Seas Academy, you've got Jamie Smith heading it up and, and you've got uh, what they call the gold mine. They're mining for gold to find these players and who's going to be able to, to be a part of it. I love watching um, these kids play because these are players that hopefully I'm going to be able to commentate about in the near future and seeing uh, the program start to grow and establish and develop and broaden its sort of web that it gets to um, pull from and be able to, to help train and develop kids. 
look, it's going to be more competitive now than it ever has been um, to be a part of an MLS Academy and be a part of MLS Next, the program. It's going to be harder than ever to get a college scholarship, to be able to play at the next level because there's more people doing it and there's more people like I was sort of the first generation soccer player in my family. Well, now my kids are going to be growing up with it. And, you know, if they want to play and, and be a part of it as they grow up, I'll be there to help able to do that and help them practice more than just the one hour I got on a Tuesday and Thursday, you know, my parents would drive me to and probably, you know, muttering under their breath, why do we have to go to soccer again? You know, this is like twice this week, you know, and I'm so grateful they did that. I want to be able to afford those opportunities to my children. And I know there's a lot of other like-minded parents that, um, you know, whether they played in college or just in high school, they, they love the game. And they wanted to be able to now impart that on their kids. And so it's just going to continue to grow and hopefully having a, a protein here with their own stadium. There's going to be kids that when the stadium opens up, they're going to be set there, you know, boys and girls that are going to say one day I want to be playing and representing Nashville SC with the men's team or when there's a women's team in this stadium from my hometown or my home state. And it gives them something. That's why the stadium is going to be something that is going to create memories for kids and for parents and for families. And maybe it's a memory that they get to look back on and they're playing in front of their fans. And hopefully the commentator doesn't say something dumb, like stop celebrating. <laughs> You're still down a goal, you know, when they get to play in front of their friends and family for the first time, or maybe it's just something they look forward to that we get to go and we get to meet the people that have season tickets behind us or next to us. And we make friends and maybe we have different lives here in Middle Tennessee, but our lives come together on a Saturday night at the new stadium and we get to cheer and support on something and we make friends out of it and strangers become friends and friends become, you know, second families. And that's what sports does. That's what Nashville SC does in this community. And I've already seen it just in the first two years here. I can't wait to see where we are in five years and in 10 years and in our stadium that is going to be world-class and the, it's going to be a cathedral of soccer here in middle Tennessee. And we're so lucky to be a part of it day in and day out. I know how great it's going to be. I would encourage everybody to come see a game at Nissan stadium while you still can, while it's in the playoffs, because you're going to then appreciate just how amazing the stadium is. It's great. Now, wait till you see it when the stadium's done, it is going to blow you away. On that note, Enjoy the match on Tuesday night. We'll be listening. We'll be watching. Uh, we'll mute the television and we'll turn you guys on. We do appreciate it, Jamie. Always a pleasure. Thank you, man. Uh, and we'll talk soon. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for that, too. We always appreciate just the listeners and the viewers and everything. We, we're so lucky to get to do this, and I'm so lucky to be here with you guys today. So thank you so much for having me. Special thanks to Jamie Watson for giving us a whole lot of his time, of course, uh, as the Nashville SC heads into the playoffs on Tuesday evening against Orlando City at home. Um, the second trip to the MLS Cup playoffs for, for Nashville SC in two seasons. And I, to your point earlier in the show, I, I do think that Nashville SC has done so many things right, even though people outside and Jamie, Jamie and you talked a little bit about this, where Miami poured money into their roster and you know, like they've gone about it in a very systematic way. You hiring See, the pouring, right people. So pouring money into their roster makes it seem like it was sort of an affirmative sort of thing. They set money on fire okay, okay. <laughs> when building this roster. I mean, they just they, they 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 took it down to the beach, they made a giant pile, <laughs> they doused it in kerosene, and then they just kept throwing 
they just kept throwing tiki torches on top of it until the entire thing was ablaze. So uh, anyway, um, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you, but the the point I was trying to get to, and I think Jamie did a great job explaining this. It, much like Jamie's focus and work ethic was sort of foundational on becoming a broadcaster, trying to work at all the things, pay attention to all the little things that people do to sort of foundationally create a career for himself, a second career for himself. By doing it all the right way, I think that's the way Nashville SC has done it, whether it's a GM, whether it's you know Mike Jacobs, whether it's Gary Smith, whether it's training for Walker Zimmerman, whether it's developing talent uh, you know through the youth camps. like They're just doing it all sort of systematically the right way. And I think another one of those steps is having a high-level broadcast team that you feel really proud of when you put, up, put it up against any other broadcast team in the MLS. And Jamie, Jamie's a, obviously a huge part of that. I think it's really interesting, too, because – the color commentator slot in, in in almost any sports broadcast. I mean, think about the number of people who play sports in high school and then never go into college, and the ones who play in college and never go into pros, and then the ones who are who are pros who are looking for a career afterwards. I mean, this this number keeps getting smaller. I mean, the funnel keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Every time that the, the, one of these color analyst jobs op- opens up, there are there are a metric ton of people who want to do this. You have to work at it. You have to develop yourself. You can't just you can't just step in. I mean, and, and I think we've seen examples of this where you know, so, like a name steps into a booth and does just a terrible job because they think, oh, this is you know, th- I'm just going to be describing this this game I've been playing for the last you know last 20 years of my life, and they don't do it very well. In Jamie's case, you see the application of effort and the thing that kind of sustained him in and gave him a, a soccer career once he got into the booth. And that's and that you got to have that because there are there are people lined up to take these jobs if you don't if you don't apply yourself in that in that way. You, you asked about pedigree in the interview with Jamie, and I you know just having been in this business for 15 years, I've worked with a lot of different types of former coaches and players, and there's a lot of different levels of commitment to the job. Um, There are a lot of people on the national level that I would argue just sort of slide in to roles because they're a big name. And that doesn't mean they're going to be good at broadcasting. And, you know, you you watch, I think at the beginning of game day, for example, and we've had Herbie on the show, but if you watched Kirk Herbstreet and you watched Desmond Howard, you could tell which one was doing more preparation (laughs) for for the show. And I think Desmond has elevated that part of his game over the last couple of couple of years. Um, and so I, I think you can tell, I, I think you can tell the guys that met the men and women, you know, Emmanuel Acho, I think was, I think he was doing sco- He was running the point on a TV scoreboard show on college football Saturdays. He, he's in TV commercials now. Like he, he is so yeah. he, he clearly works incredibly hard at being a broadcaster, not just a former football player. Uh, he was doing the highlights. Like he was running the point going in and out of breaks for a, a, a scoreboard show on Saturday. Um, so you can tell uh, who the guys, the men and women are. Maria Taylor's another one that is just she's a former athlete, but is clearly a, a television host. <laughs> like is clearly, yeah, clearly good at this. So uh, just that's what I love about Jamie, and uh, can't wait for the game on Tuesday. All right, ratings for this weekend before we get to recommendations. Real quickly here, Saints and Titans, thirty point eight, number one highest rated Titans game of the season, even though it was one of the worst looking football games I have ever that- seen. That just goes to show that there is no relationship between how good of a game there is and how many people are watching. And no Derrick Henry or Julio Jones. Yeah. No no Alvin Kamara or Jameis Winston. Yeah. St- the star power was completely gone, and yet it was still the highest, not only the highest rated game of the season for the Titans. Hey, hey sports fans, 
Would you like to see Trevor Simeon throwing the ball around? <laughs> Tune which, in to Titans Saints. Which which he did, by the way. It was also the highest rated November Titans football game since 2010. I just, mean, I think just I, I mean, third number. I do think that, you know, all joking aside, as long as they keep winning like this, I think they're going to keep piling these numbers up. If this, if they can do this on a very frankly, dog shit Saints game <laughs> that was hard to watch for big stretches of the game. Yeah, yeah, it was bad. Uh, then you know, if they're if we look up in four weeks and they are twelve and two, yeah, yeah. you know, they're going to be posting consistently in the thirties. Yes, think. they they will be huge. Also, there's also that human element where we sort of tune in to see the. Like, is this when they fall off the, the mountaintop? Is this when they tumble? Is this, there's an element of that too, as well as I can't believe they're still winning. We're going to keep p- tuning in because they're the best team in the AFC right now. So there's a, like, you get like sort of the best of both worlds. I think obviously we'd all rather see Derrick Henry running for 200 yards, but that's, that's, you know, that's coming hopefully near the end of the season. At the end of the broadcast, I can't remember who was doing the game, but at the end of the broadcast, he was like, well, he was signing off and he was like, well, this one had everything you'd ever want. And I was like, no. No, it didn't. It had nothing that I wanted. <laughs> Literally had none of the things I want other than a other spectacular, than the well, the win, but also a spectacular final couple of minutes, like great final couple of minutes uh, there as well. The NFL wasn't the, the only highest rated football game. Georgia and Tennessee, 18.2, which had a great first quarter and a half, let's call it, but really not anything worth watching after that, after halftime. Georgia, Tennessee, 18.2, the highest rated college football game of the year in the national Tennessee market, beating the Tennessee Bama game. That was a 16.3 a couple of weeks ago. So the number one NFL game and the number one college game of the fall took place this past weekend. I have no explanation. I mean, I I just I got I got nothing. I I I didn't see much of that game. They here's my here's my thought. They are the first team all season and maybe the only team all season that will script two drives against the Georgia defense and go down the field and score twice, which they did to start the game. Great. And then they didn't score again. I I'm, I'm aware. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm with you. The number is a little odd to me. There's a lot of Georgia fans, certainly in Nashville. That probably is part of it as well. It's one of the two or three biggest number two alumni bases. Bama of course is the other one, but again, the Bama Tennessee game went deep into the, into the, into the second half. Georgia Tennessee was also on CBS. So maybe that's some of it as well as opposed to ESPN. I don't know. But man, that's a that's a big number for a game that was I think twenty seven ten at halftime. So, are, are they going to pull that for the South Alabama game? I don't think so. No, no, I, we'll 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 see. <laughs> we'll see. Tennessee Kentucky, by the way, a couple of weeks ago was the number eight rated game. Uh, Georgia and Florida was the number six rated game at a twelve point zero. So I'll have all those rankings for you guys. I'll post those all on the Twitter feeds there at Braden Gall, of course, uh, as well. Recommendations, uh, real quickly. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have some fun here. Two quick sort of. Things that I watched, um, I've finally started the newest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I just, there, you cannot recommend this show enough times to enough people on as, on as many platforms as possible. It is now the 11th season. How many shows go 11 seasons and can keep it up? Uh, it is spectacular, Leon. 11 seasons over like 20 years. I know. I mean- I know they, 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 they kind of, they get, they're kind of like, they get tired of it and then they come back and they get tired of it and they come back. Well, and now they're like pitching shows to Netflix and it's just, it's just hysterical. Like it's wonderful. I, I absolutely love it. So I, I'm, I caught back up. So I'm caught up on that. Um, we're watching Yellowstone in succession, of course, as well. I also watched in season hard knocks, which I find is a brand is a fun new twist on a show that had probably gotten stale during the preseason. I did not watch this year for the first time ever with the Dallas Cowboys. 
but I did tune in and watch the in season with the Indianapolis Colts. And it was sort of during their bye week going into playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so I was like, this is actual real install, real people doing real things. Carson Wentz was having a baby. Like Darius Leonard got hurt. Like this is real stars doing real things in the middle of the season. I love sort of the reboot idea of, of hard knocks in season. We got the promo for that. And my wife turned to me and said, there is no amount of money that you could pay me to watch a show about the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Darius Leonard is the, is the star. <laughs> Carson Wentz and Frank Reich. Let's just say they're, they, they're not the most uh, flamboyant of personalities. Let's, let's say. No, they're not. Jonathan Taylor, though, awesome, which, of course, everybody should know by now. So that, that's sort of my like lighthearted sort of I had a good time watching that, even though I don't like preseason hard knocks anymore. I kind of came back to it this week and I enjoyed it because, um, again, it's a real game with real star players doing real things. And it's not just about the last guy getting cut and, and repeating that same narrative over and over again. Uh, here's the other recommendation. And this speaks to sort of people that work really hard at their craft and broadcasting like Jamie was talking about. And that is Titans fans. Don't, just don't take the bait. When a national media member who is not at practice, who's not around the team, that doesn't know about all these things that are going on inside the well, inside the walls of that facility, has a bunch of opinions that they say intentionally to rile you up and intentionally to take advantage of your online Twitter anger, just don't take the bait. They're looking for engagement. And That's by what, engagement, they mean your anger. Right. This goes back to Steve Gorman. I'm so thankful that you took time out of your day to log on to this Twitter app to tell me that I suck. Like that, that is, that's engagement. That's engagement. That means I, we've done something right, which is a, a, maybe a terrible statement about our society. But anyway, it, it, the, the fans need to understand that, that you guys reacting the way you do is sort of why somebody like Keyshawn Johnson perhaps might say something that doesn't sound entirely coherent. But the other thing to understand here is, is that television executives do not make football decisions. They make television decisions. And because you don't get as many national games or national slots on TV or as many high-level broadcasting crews or get as many like you know segments in talk shows, let's say, or embrace debate shows or whatever that's out there in the national scale, it's because we're a 25-year-old fan base in a 20 top, not a top 25 market. It has nothing to do with how good the football team is. And I, I feel like I've repeated this many times, but just because the Titans don't get that quote-unquote respect from TV executives nationally... It has nothing to do with how good the football team is. It has everything to do with the size of the fan base and the size of the market, and that's it. In short, in short, Braden, are you saying R E L A X? Relax. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. <laughs> My wife has a shirt that says Aaron says relax. I bought it for her. <laughs> to say Aaron said no. Needed, I was gonna say take the first three letters out. <laughs> Change it to a V, then we're good to go. Aaron says V-A-X. Anyway, um, Steve, what you got for the good people? All right, so this is, well, this is not lighthearted, but it's really good. My favorite Twitter feed, and I've followed them for a long time, but but I've just seen them a bunch here recently. I, I love this feed. It is the New York Times obituaries feed. NY, at what? NYT obits. You may be thinking, wow, dead people. Good job, Steve. Way to bring the... <laughs> Way to bring it home. But but seriously, it, obituaries, when they're done well, are, are just they're just pieces of history. And they're really uh, they're, they're pieces of history about really interesting people. Like, like in the last day, like they they, they, they published a piece on Philip Margot. And and this is the, this is the perfect example. 
I didn't know who Philip Margo was, but you know who Philip, you have heard Philip Margo because Philip Margo sang the bass line in The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Oh, okay. I definitely have heard him. And, but, but down in the obituary, you find out that in 1998, he was such a huge baseball fan that he sang the national anthem at every single baseball, uh, major league game in the country that that year every wow. every major league baseball stadium that year it, it's stories like that that are just absolutely fascinating there's a piece about a guy named justice rosenberg that, who fought in the french resistance who who threw grenades at the german tanks and aided the uh aided the u.s army as a as a reconnaissance scout then came to america and taught literature for six decades Jeez. Uh, in, in college i mean it it's just stories of interesting lives. And I love, I love great obituaries. I always have, but they have, you know, they have an obituaries desk that is, that is just one of the best, you know, the way they, they do it is they try to tell the most interesting stories uh, about the most interesting people. And it, it's just a, it's a great feed. Uh, you'll almost always find somebody or something interesting in it. Uh, it, it's just a it's a great Twitter follow um, and it's a it, it's a it's a it's a great kind of desk and 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 set of work that they do. There you, there you have it. Um, I guess I'll just tack one on here because I feel like I have to do it now and I can't wait till next week. Board board at board geniuses is a Twitter account that is fantastic. It it pulls all the wildest nuttiest message board comments from all the college football oh, message great. boards and pulls them together. And there's a great story in the Athletic about the Twitter feed itself and how it's taken off. In the last couple of in the last couple of months, so oh, that's great! Um, I'll have to follow that. Yes, uh, apparently Jimbo Fisher being vaccinated is the only reason why they lost to Ole Miss, oh. <laughs> according to the message boards. <laughs> so obviously, Big Pharma is a Bama fan. I forgot. Okay, so, so there you go. Lots of recommendations, lots of ratings, lots of talk from Jamie Watson. All that great stuff on the show today. Steve Lamestream brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. 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 You want to try that again? Jaspers. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Get a frat bread. Yeah, turns, turns out I can't say Jasper's five times in a row. Get, get a frat bread at Jasper's. <laughs> oh, man. Go to, go to Jasper's, everybody. We do appreciate it. Uh, we thank them for supporting the product as well. Thanks to Jamie Watson for hanging out with us. For Steve Cavendish, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.